A lot of talk lately about how Ireland needs an Ardna Crusher plan for the 21st century. So this week, I'm looking into the crazy circumstances that led to the state spending 20% of its entire budget on one project. Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Hello and welcome to the show. Don't forget to subscribe or follow or wherever it's called on the News Talk app or whatever other app you happen to be listening on. Now, the government may have a budget surplus of up to 65 billion euro over the next three years. That's billion with a B. So the question has turned to what do you spend that on? Like, do you put it in an investment account like some ministers want? Do you funnel the whole thing into housing? Or could we do something generational? Is there a project out there that would properly change Ireland for the better for generations to come? And that's where mines have turned to wind power. The first mega wind farms off the East Coast have been given provisional approval. But could the government use those billions and billions to make Ireland the Saudi Arabia of wind? And funny enough, we have something of a blueprint to work off because when Ardna Krusha was built almost 100 years ago, it was exactly that kind of generational project which set Ireland up to move out of its rural, agricultural, historical base and take steps towards things like rural electrification, for example. So on this episode, Inside Ardna Krusha. If Ireland was to have an industrial revival and improve her agricultural methods, there must be power available throughout the land. The ESB was the first semi-state company set up to manage the building of a massive hydroelectric dam on the River Shannon, and it partnered with Pathé Films to do the promotion of the project. Doyle Aaron, when still outlawed, set up a commission of inquiry into the use of native resources. But the great project was to stem from the experiences of a young Drogheda man, Tommy McLaughlin. And let's just try and put everything into context right here. It's 1924, and the engineer just mentioned, Thomas McLaughlin, proposes damming the Shannon. It gets government approval, and work starts in 1925. The Irish Free State had only been established for two years at this stage. It was sort of an extraordinary project to be taking on for such a new government but many in the Dáil and within the government itself were actually opposed to the plans. Eamon de Valera who was on the opposition benches at the time said he wouldn't have gone ahead with it instead they should have done a smaller project on the River Liffey to serve Dublin and then worry about the rest a little bit later and a big part of the opposition was Ireland partnering up with a German company to deliver the project. It was a deal between the Free State and Siemens Schuchert Engineering engineering company with around a thousand Germans coming to Ireland to work on the project. This, of course, only seven years after the end of World War One, and there was obviously still a lot of scepticism about the Germans around at the time. The Irish Times wrote a piece saying that the project would damage relations with Britain, and indeed the British were none too plussed with this going ahead, fearing it was a cover for Germany to establish a, a base effectively in Ireland. The Daily Mail pitching it as a bid for the economic control of Ireland, basically set up a German client state on the UK's doorstep given the money involved. Dev was also against the Germans referring to train up Irish people with his Liffey project and then achieve things more gradually if there was more power needed to you would have then Irish trained engineers who could do this and forget the Germans altogether. And looking back at some of the Dáil debates it's actually funny how similar they are to the sort of carry on that I unfortunately have to watch every week uh, and which happens now. Labour's Thomas Johnson at the time claiming the workers on the site weren't being paid a fair wage that would allow them to support a family, i.e. 
a living wage. And then spat, uh, a spat rather between Labour's Daniel Morrissey from Tipperary with the Taoiseach, then called the President of the Executive Council, W.T. Cosgrave. And in it, Morrissey lambasted Cosgrave, saying he'd have a better understanding of all these things if he just got out into rural Ireland for a change and stopped gallivanting around the continent, telling Europe how great this project is, rather than talking to his own people, to which Cosgrave said he'd travelled far more of Ireland than the deputy had, and someone pithily remarking, yeah, in an airplane. So those rows between TDs about rural Ireland and getting out in rural Ireland and it being forgotten, well, looks like they're kind of eternal. I was reliably informed through the chair that Deputy Healy Ray approached people outside a mass to say I can get you on the bus if you want a cataract. The, 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 the woman concerned said... You should take that back! You're a disgrace! You're only in the bottom of the barrel now coming out with that doctor's statement. And cop on a small bit, Taoiseach. There was also plenty of localism when it came to the project. One letter into the Limerick leader, for example, said the resources of the Shannon were for the people of Clare alone to enjoy, while there was also a suggestion in other dispatches that the people of Limerick should enjoy reduced-cost electricity from the project, given it was in their backyard. It would be like saying today the people on the East Coast should have cheaper rates from the new wind farms, and funny enough, I have heard that suggested. Others spoke in favour, including a suggestion from a local priest that the huge amounts of the spend that would in turn make their way to Limerick by those working on the plant going down there at the weekends or in evenings though he did comment that he hoped not too much of the money would find its way into the local public houses. Eventually a cost was agreed for the project £5 million which was a full fifth of the Free State's national budget. I mean, imagine that today. One in every five euro the government spent going into a single project. It was a massive risk should anything have gone wrong. And there were concerns that it could bankrupt the the fledgling state. Eventually, though, and gradually, it came together. The button pressed, the gates raised, the water surges through the new canal. Before long, the head race was full. And in 1929, the plant was opened by W.T. Cosgrave. When President Cosgrave arrived to throw the switch which would open the sluice gates and allow the waters of the Shannon to move along the new course towards Ardna Crusher and Parteen. Our greatest, our most famous river is entering upon a new chapter of its long story. Henceforth, the Shannon will be harnessed in the service of the nation distributing light, heat, and power throughout the Seastot, increasing at once the comfort of our homes and the productive capacity of our farms and factories. It came in just about on time and almost on budget, another pretty fine achievement in the case of Irish big building projects. There were a number of difficulties in the making of Ardna Crusha, tensions among workers, for example, a strike at one point, again, over the pay and conditions. The project attracted many people in the new free state at a time of quite high unemployment, with about 5,000 people working on it. Huge railway lines were built to bring in materials and to take away rock, but working conditions were not fantastic for many. There were a number of deaths on site during the project along with other injuries like limbs lost. There's also been quite a negative impact on fish life in the Shannon as a result of the damming of the river, particularly for salmon and eels. Today, Ardna Crusha accounts for about 2% of Ireland's electricity supply, but in the early 1930s, it was 
basically able to power the entire country. It could produce more than Ireland was using, in fact, leading to one funny comment in a London newspaper that the project was dangerous, as it would produce so much power people would be electrocuted in their beds at night. For something that was so divisive at the time, its name's gone down really well in history, with politicians now clamouring for whatever Ardnacrusha 2.0 is. With the country where our sea area is seven times our land area, and it's the most windy part of the world, it's absolutely achievable. It'll take huge political effort and organisation, but it is equivalent to Ardnacrusha of our day. It's a similar, actually, moment where we rely on our resources our capability, and there is real capability. You would hope in time wind energy can become that big project for the 21st century, but it faces many of the same problems. Objections because of how it looks, objections because of how much it costs, objections because of the impact on sea life and fishing grounds too, particularly spawning grounds for some fish. At the same time, it does have the potential for Ireland to become an energy superpower as a result of these new projects, and you wonder, is a good portion of that 65 billion euro surplus ploughed into it money well spent for the future? This episode produced by myself, Sean Defoe, with editor John Keogh and Lachlan Hart on sound. I'll chat to you next week.